My name is Jamie, I'm one of the pastors down at Cornerstone in southeastern Wisconsin. For those of you who are watching online, my gift is awkwardness. All right. <laughs> so um, it's a real privilege to be here. Um, I was so excited when Dan asked me to come preach here. And uh, he's preaching right now at this very time because we have a 10 o'clock service as well. And so he's preaching right now, but down in Delafield, Wisconsin. Um, you all are in a series, and you're going through the book of Acts, and the name of your series is To the Ends of the Earth. And so what you've been doing is, is you're going through this book, and you're seeing how the Lord Jesus Christ, he's building his kingdom, and he's building it first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the other ends of the earth. And so today we come to this text, and if you have like a paper Bible, in the paper Bibles, you ever notice how they have like a section heading to kind of tell you what's going on? Uh, mine says, the seven are chosen to serve. And so what we see here is really the first deacons, the first diaconate. And it's very important to see the context of what God is doing here. He's raising up these deacons to care for the needs, not only of the church, but also of the community. And what we're going to see is God uses the deacons as a vital force to equip the church, not only to do these deeds of mercy, but really to grow the kingdom of God. So with that, would you uh, please turn with me in your bulletin, and we're going to read, I'll read from uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What we see going on here is something amazing. Uh, we look at the book of Acts, and we think the book of Acts, this is like the golden age of church growth. And yet what we're also seeing, it's a, it's a golden age of difficulty. Um, if you remember back in chapter 2, the disciples, the apostles were mocked. And then in chapter 4, uh, they're even imprisoned. Um, before that, they're interrogated. And so there's much resistance. But also what we're seeing is the problem is not just even external. The problem is internal. So last week, you looked at chapter 5, and there you read the account of Ananias and Sapphira. And so there, this really kind of weird account, which is addressing the integrity that's lacking within the church. And then now we come to chapter 6, and what we see here is a people. Widows are being overlooked. They're being marginalized. People are not caring for them. 
And so what we do is we see these problems that are going on in the text and we can say, well, these are problems that go on even today in our own lives and even in this own church. For we look at our times right now and yeah, there's resistance. There's even apathy to the message of Christ. But then we look at ourselves and we can say, well, there's even apathy within me. There's apathy within me to care for the least and for the lost. And so today what we're going to do is this. We're going to try to address this question, well, how do we care for the least and the lost? And as we do that, we really want to address what does it look like to be a church that has both word and deed ministry? Now, we're going to have three points, and the three points are really three questions. And they're going to be a what, a why, and a how. So the first one is, well, what is care for the least and for the lost? And then the second point will be, well, why do we care for the least and the lost? And then the third point will be, well, how do we care for the least and the lost? There's what I call a big idea. So this is what you put on the refrigerator so that you can say this is what the sermon was all about. And so first there's a truth about God. And the truth is this, Jesus is building his kingdom. That's a, that makes us smile. He's always building his kingdom. And he's building his kingdom through word and deed. So then with this truth, we wed together an application. And the application from the text is kind of a unique one, and it's this, deploy your deacons. You might be thinking, okay, what does that mean? Well, we're going to unpack that, but deploying your deacons is going to see we're going to be empowering your deacons, making use of your deacons, and following your deacons. Now, before we go further, let's pray together. God, we pray because we need you Oh, how we need you every hour, every moment, we need you. So God, what we're asking right now is that you would feed us from your holy word, spirit blow upon us in such a way that my words be your words, but also open the ears and the hearts of those who are now here and even those who are online. Help us to receive your word so that we might see Jesus and be changed by him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the first point. And the first point is, well, what is the care for the least and the lost? Very simply, it's mercy ministry. That's what mercy ministry is. Mercy ministry is meeting the needs of a person or even a community with loving deeds. It's showing kindness to one another out of love. And we do this not because the person is deserving, not because they're my best friend or somehow I'm going to get something in return. Often when we show mercy, it's to someone I don't even know someone who's not deserving, and certainly someone who's not going to give me any sort of payback. So let's look at the text. Here we see the church is growing and there's a complaint. Now literally the word is murmur, and that kind of gives us some of the feeling of what's going on. The people are murmuring here. And so what's going on? There's a minority group that's murmuring against the, major the majority group. In the church in Jerusalem, you had what are called the Hebrews, and then you had the Hellenists, okay? The Hebrews were the people who were from Jerusalem. These are the people who read their Bible in Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic, which would be the language of the Jewish people. These are the people who would say, you know what, where are you from? And they would say, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jewish Jew. Now, on the other hand, you had Hellenists. And Hellenists were Jewish people who had been scattered throughout all the Roman Empire and now are coming back to Jerusalem. These would be a people whose mother tongue 
is Greek. These are people who, when they read the Bible, they read it in Greek. These are the people who you say, hey, where are you from? And they would say, oh, I'm from Cappadocia. I'm from Bithynia. Or I'm from Iberia. I'm from Rome. And they would say, I'm Jewish, but I'm not from Jerusalem. And so what's going on is you have a majority group, the Hebrews, a minority group called the Hellenists, and the Hebrews have all the power. They have all the prestige. And you might even say, they would say, they have all the purity. They are the Jewish Jew in the mind of the people. And so there's a complaint that's going on. It's the minority group. The widows, they're being neglected. Now, some translations might say overlooked. The word is actually very particular. It means they made a choice. And as they look at the two groups, they're saying, hmm, we're going to give the bread to the Hellenists, or to, sorry, to the Hebrews, and not to the Hellenists. And so there's this complaint, and we need to understand some of the background. There's no social security during this time. There's no state aid. Um, there's no retirement plan. <laughs> there's no 401k. There's no pension. And so if you were a person in that time, what you did is you worked and you worked until you died. And so if you were a widow and your husband died, you sure hoped that you had kids who would take care of you. And if you didn't have kids who took care of you, then you needed your community to take care of you. And so here in the context, we see here is a church community. You have believing widows and their church community, their church family, is not acting like a church family. They're overlooking the widows who are Hellenists. And so what we see is this is what we call a just complaint. There's real, uh, if you will, merit or virtue to what they're murmuring about. And when we look, the apostles, they have a just action. They select seven men, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, who are then going to fix the issue. Now look at the names of the guys who they chose. They're Greek. They're all Greek names. And so what we see is this uh, beautiful solution. They chose Hellenist men to address the need of the Hellenist community. So it's not the Hebrews coming in to save the day for the Hellenists. It's not patronizing. It's not some sort of power grab. This is very respectful. This is very wise. And it's very effective for the needs were met with dignity. Now, as we think about what is uh, ministry, mercy ministry, what does it mean to care for the least and the lost? Think about how we do this today. Think about some of the mercy ministries in your own community here in Appleton. So you have ministry that goes on for the homeless. Um, that's called Pillars. And then you also have the acronym COTS, C-O-T-S. You have a food pantry or two or three. You have the Freedom Center. You have Feeding America. You have Salvation Army. But then also, even in this church, some of the things that you do is there's foster care, there's adoption, there's care for those in nursing homes, but then also caring for those who are refugees. These are all very good things. And so when we say, what is it that is caring for the least and the lost? Very simply, it's caring for those who are overlooked. Caring for those who are unable to provide their own needs. And it's care that's not just words, hey, I hope you do okay. It's care that has action to it, a substance where the needs are actually met by loving deeds. Now, why are we to care for the least and the lost? So we're on our second point. Why do we do this? 
I'm going to get at this through three categories. First, the immediate or the acute, and then we're going to look at it in the larger context, and then we're going to look at an ultimate context. So the immediate context is this. Why do we do this? We do it to meet the acute needs that people have. Um, let me put it differently. We want people fed. We want people to have a roof. We want people to have clothing. And so we want these immediate needs to be met. In the text, the widows receive then their daily distribution. What's the larger context, though? And this is very important. We want to help people belong to a community. In the text, part of the problem is, is the widows weren't part of the community. Yes, they're part of the church, but they weren't being treated as though they belong to the church family. And so what we need to see here is part of caring for the least and the lost is not just their physical needs, listen, it's that they are part of a church family. That they can say, I have community. That there is a place where I belong. Now we want to pause right there. See, too often in our mercy ministry, we do a very good job of providing food, shelter, clothing, things like that, money. That's actually really good, and it's a good thing to do. We do not ever want to minimize that. But what we're starting to see here is one of the larger contexts is we need to help people belong. You see, you can feed a person's stomach, but in their heart, they're still going to be lonely. They're going to say, where am I going to find acceptance? And so there's going to be an aching, even though their tummy is filled. I have kids, as you can tell. Tummy, stomach, you get it. <laughs> Part of this ministry, caring for the least and the lost, what's so important is that the person who feels or identifies as least and lost can now say, I belong. The widows no longer had a place, and now they have a place, and they can say, I belong. Now, there's an ultimate reason why we do this, and it's the glory of God. So often we have that Sunday school answer, do we not? Like, um, kids, if you're sitting in Sunday school and the teacher calls upon you, and you, know, you don't know the answer, all you have to say is what? Jesus, and that's usually the right answer. Or um, another good answer, particularly in Reformed Presbyterians, would say, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, all right? And so here we actually see it's the combination of the two perfect Sunday school answers. Why do we do this ministry of caring for the least and the lost? Listen, it brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings glory to Him. And this is why we want to do it. Look at verse 7. The word continued to increase. Why? The apostles are now freed to do what they were called to do, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus. Look what it says. There's fruit. The disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. And then look. It has this weird note. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Now you might be asking, why, why put that there? This is actually very telling of what's going on in the church. You see, the priests were those who received both mercy, but also then distributed mercy. They were the ones in the Jewish economy where they did not have like normal jobs, like, you know, the lay people. They were not the farmers. They were the ones who were receiving from the congregation a portion of tithe and ministry. And so they received mercy, if you will. But then part of their calling as a priest of God was to then minister to the needs of the community. And so here you have the priests receiving mercy, giving mercy, 
And then they see what God is doing in the church, and it's something that they've never seen before. See, what they're seeing now is what we call the priesthood of all believers. Everyone in the church is now acting like a priest because they've been filled with the Spirit, they've received mercy from the Lord Jesus, and now they're giving mercy in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the priests are seeing this going on, and they're like, I want to be part of that. And so a great number of priests are converted, and they're now following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. It's so amazing. Now, as we look at this, we want to just take a step back and say, there's a bigger picture. And this is what we call word and deed ministry. See, the word ministry is the preaching of the word, but the deed ministry is the validation of that word. The word is saying the Lord Jesus Christ, he is God. He died upon the cross for our sins. He is resurrected with all glory. He has undone the curse and he is coming again. That's the word ministry. But then also there's deed ministry saying this Lord Jesus Christ, as he rose in the newness of life, he gives you his spirit. And when you believe upon the Lord Jesus, you have that same newness of life, you're changed, you're born again. And so this newness begins to overflow. And now you're not just a changed person in name, you're now a changed person indeed. You're doing things perhaps you've never done before. You're caring for the lost. You're caring for the least. Your goal, your mission is not yourself, but your goal is now the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put it even differently. If we just preach the word, that's not enough. You might be saying, okay, wait, wait, wait. We're Presbyterians. We pride ourselves in the preaching of the word. But the reality is this. Sometimes we have to kind of pop our little bubble here. When people come to Appleton, and they come to your beautiful, and I just want to say, this is a beautiful new church you have. This is so cool. <laughs> As people come to this church, they might come for the beauty. They might come because they're friends with you. But often they're not coming because they want to hear the word of God. They're coming because they know someone. Or somehow they saw your life being changed and affected. And so when they come, they do hear the word of God. But one of the reasons they're coming is they see the deeds. The deeds have been validating what you're preaching here. And so it's not that we minimize the word ever, for it is the word of God that actually changes things. But then the deeds actually validate and show that there is a change that's going on. Let me put things even a little bit differently. There's another apostle that was in Jerusalem. His name is James the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember in his letter, here he is preaching to the same group and he says, look, if you have someone in your congregation and they say, hey, your, your clothes are bare, your tummy is not full, I wish you well. He says, that's not faith. He says that faith is actually a dead faith. And then that famous quote, faith without works is dead. And so we see not just the importance of word and deed ministry, but it's imperative. They always must go hand in hand. You must have one and it leads to the other. In other words, if you have the preaching of the word, it leads to changed lives, which leads to deeds, which validates the preaching of the word.
Okay, you might be saying, okay, tracking with you, kind of talking fast, but I, I think I get what you're saying. You might be saying, all right, you're just giving us a good reminder, right? Here's the good reminder that faith and works go together. So perhaps you're just saying, guest preacher, just put your faith into action. That's actually part of it. So we need to dig into the text because we're going to see something very specific that's going on in the life of the church, and that's the work of the deacons. So that brings us to the third point. And the third point is, well, how do we actually do this? How do we care for the least and the lost? Now, I need to throw something out there right away because this is actually one of the most important points, and it's this. One of the ways in which we care for the least and the lost is how do we do it is we need to see my own or your own leastness and lostness. Let me put it differently. For you to care for the needs of others, you need to see that you yourself are needy. For you to actually enter into people's lives and say, I want to help you, you need to see first you've been helped by another. Who are we as followers of Christ? We are those who had an ultimate need. What is our ultimate need? It's not food, it's not shelter, it's not clothing, it's something even greater. Our ultimate need is the acceptance with our God. And that's why our Lord Jesus came. Our Jesus came and he died upon the cross to take away all our sin. And so now we stand not just forgiven, but we stand accepted. And so Jesus, he comes to us and he gives us this newness of life. And so if you want to put it differently, we have an ultimate need and Jesus did the ultimate deed. He died, he resurrected, and he's given us his spirit. And so if this is really what's going on in the gospel in our lives, how we do this all flows from that. It's the fuel, if you will. So there's this general sense of how we care for the least and the lost. The general sense is we all put our faith into action. That's a call. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to be a people who are marked by loving deeds. But then let's look at the text. From the text, we see very specifically, as a church, we are to raise up and deploy called ministers of mercy. What are they to do? To lead us and to teach us about mercy ministry. These are your deacons. And so what we see here in the text is the first diaconate. And what we need to see is what they're not. They're not glorified food servers. <laughs> I want to say it that way because sometimes that's how we see our deacons today. Uh, unfortunately so. Unfortunately, we, we see our deacons sometimes as glorified custodians. Take care of the building. Take care of the grounds. Um, if there's like a church function, deacons, set up the tables for us. If someone's moving in the church, hey deacons, will you move, help load the truck? I don't want to minimize that. That's actually all very, very important. But if that's all your deacons do, you're selling them short. See, deacons are designed and called to do so much more. Next week, you're going to read about a deacon, and his name is Stephen. And Stephen, he's the first martyr of the church. And he's not martyred because he's distributing food. He's, dis he's martyred because he's leading the church. And then a few weeks later, you're going to read about Philip, uh, Philip, another one of the deacons here, and his preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. And what we want to see is this group, they're leaders, and they're leading the church through loving deeds, through serving one another. So and let me give a quick reminder. 
This is a Presbyterian church. And Presbyterian just simply means elder-led. That's the word, the Greek word for elder is presbytos. And so here we are, and what does this mean? What do the elders do? The elders teach and guard the doctrines of the church. They guard the gospel. What do the deacons do? The deacons lead and teach in mercy. And so it's this wedding together of word ministry and deed ministry so that the church is going forth in power and in health. Let's look at the text. Um, verse 6. The apostles lay hands on these people. They're set apart. They, they're given a task. And they're now empowered to do what they've been called to do. So let me start to bring some very specific application. The first is going to be a, a, some set of questions for you who are the deacons and the deacon assistants. In other words, here at Emmaus Road, you all have deacons. That's a good thing. And not only do you have deacons, you have deacon assistants. That's even better. But as I've gotten to know, like the first uh, service crowd, you really like your deacons. And your deacons are doing really good things. And so this all is very, very good. And so what I want to do is want to focus some questions in on the deacons and deacon assistants. And then the second set of questions is going to be for you, the congregation. So first, deacons, do you have a vision? What I mean by that is, do you know what God has called you to do for Emmaus Road? Can you say with particularity and succinctness, this is what God wants us to do right now? See, again, in the text, the deacons, they knew what they were supposed to be doing. They were empowered to do it, and they did it. So for you who are deacons here, can you say the average congregant knows exactly what the diaconate is doing at Emmaus Road? Too often, you have a very specific thing, and you're doing really good things, but there's sometimes that communication gap, and the church doesn't really know what the deacons do. So part of a very practical application is deacons help the congregation know exactly what God has called you to do. Now, congregation, here's a question for you, and this comes from verse 5. In verse 5, we see that the people understand what the care plan is, and they embraced it. So congregation, if you are in need, will you ask your deacons for help? God has raised them up to help you. Do you understand, if you will, according to the text, that they are there to help when you are in times of need? So that's one question. Question number two is then, will you assist the deacons? Will you help the deacons help others, not only in the church, but in the community? And one of the primary ways in which you do that is that, word again, money. So in the back of your church, you have a mercy ministry box. I understand at the first um, Sunday of the month, you set time aside to actually put money into that box, and that's a good thing. So Dan didn't tell me to say this, by the way, but <laughs> are you being generous to that? See, part of partnering with your deacons is deacons... You have a vision. It takes money often to do that vision. Congregant, are you enabling the deacons to do what they're called to do by putting money into that box? It's not just money. Sometimes it's time. And time is sometimes so much more costly than money. And so will you come alongside your deacons and say, deacons, I want to help. 
Deacons, be prepared for when they ask. If someone were to ask you and say, how can I help, that you have an answer and say, praise God, this is how I want you to help. Now, I'm going to slow down even more. Part of the reason I was asked to come is because I served a church in downtown Indianapolis, and it was a church that was city center. It was a church, a very old building like this. It was the church that uh, President Benjamin Harrison, our 23rd president, helped build. Uh, his son was uh, chairman of the session, the moderator of the session for a while, and it's just amazing to kind of see some of the notes of that church. But it had beautiful stained glass, and it was downtown, and with all the joys and the, and the cons, if you will, of downtown living. And so part of the reason I've been asked to come is to share some insights of how this text applies to you all, Emmaus Road, as you now own this wonderful building. So many years you were on the north side for several months. Uh, you rented here, and now you own this thing. This church is now owned by you all. And so I think part of the reason why Dan asked me to come is to give some insights of what we learned um, when we were in the downtown church in Indianapolis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some things, and it's not meant to be comprehensive. It's actually just to put some ideas into your mind and then to get a conversation going. These are conversation starters. And so if I say something that you really think I need to explain or to develop more, just come get me after the church. I'll be in the back, and you can talk with me. Um, so not comprehensive. All right. What's the first thing? Take time to know your community. Take time to know your community. When I say community, like the immediate downtownness of Appleton. And so um, look at the text. The apostles did not pretend to have all the answers. Uh, in the Proverbs, it says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And so what did they do? They sought the counsel of the Hellenists to solve an Hellenist problem. For you, listen to the needs of your community. You need to find out who is the least and who is the lost. And as you begin to understand those needs, begin to quietly meet them. When uh, I was living in Indianapolis, one of the things we did is we uh, really targeted a, an apartment complex that was near the church. And in this apartment complex, we had lots and lots of kids. And a lot of the kids were in a, basically, I hate to say it this way, but they were in a failing school district. And so their education was not the best. Now, here, I'm going to give you a statistic that will hopefully make some sense. If you can get a kid, but not only a kid, but if you can get an adult reading at a fifth grade level, their rate of incarceration goes down 95%. And so one of the goals that we had is if we can get our kids in our surrounding area to be reading at a fifth grade level by the time they're in fifth grade, we cannot guarantee that they'll be out of jail, but we can pretty much get them statistically that they're not going to be in jail. And so we had this thing called New Star, and it was like, an, it's still going, it's an after-school program, and it would go right into the apartment complex where the kids are and do after-school training, and the teachers of the schools loved it. So that's just one idea. I'm not saying that's what you have to do, just giving you ideas to think through. What does it mean mean to know your community. Another thing we found in the downtown area is that there was a paucity, a scarcity of good biblical counseling. So mercy ministry is not only physical, often it's spiritual and emotional. 
And so what we did is we started a Christian counseling center called New Hope. And part of what the deacons did is the deacons got behind New Star, that education program, but the deacons also got very much behind the counseling and they would provide scholarship because often with Christian counseling, insurance doesn't pay for it. And so what we did is we had a deacon fund that would pay for Christian counseling and then we also have started the Christian counseling so we could actually have counselors to, to provide for the people in our church, <clears throat> excuse me, and in our community. So taking time to learn the community. Another very important point, so this is just a point, embrace the importance of the city. <clears throat> so here in the city, the city is actually what forms and shapes the culture. You and I might be thinking, little Appleton, Appleton is a culture formation place? It is. And so uh, my family and I, we stayed downtown and we stayed right on the main strip, one of the uh, motel hotels right there. And you all have a happening scene on Saturday. You may not know that, but uh, Saturday night in Appleton is busy. Uh, there were sirens, uh, people, uh, car noises till about two or three in the morning. And again, it's a Saturday, but... Um, I just want to put before you, you might not think that Appleton is the great cultural center of central Wisconsin, but it is. What a place for you to be. What a place for you to be. You, know, you might think, oh, maybe Green Bay is it. Well, Green Bay, when there's a game, but Appleton is kind of like all the time. And you might be thinking, really? Really? Go spend a, a night, <laughs> a Saturday night, and you'll see just countless, countless uh, people there. And so one of the things that we did when, um, at the church in Indianapolis is we gave the people three R's. Uh, reconciliation, and then the second one was rebuilding, and then the third one was relocation. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to challenge our people to say, look, if you're part of a church that is in the cultural center of your area, the first thing we want to do is bring about reconciliation because not only does the city have lots of good things, the, so the city has lots of problems. One of the problems often is the need of reconciliation. And so the way we worded it is, we worked to heal the conflicts and the wounds of the city. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so often, like in these older kind of Wisconsin towns, the the division would have been like Lutheran and Catholic. And then as the town became prosperous, then it was social economic, poor and wealthy. And now you see how Appleton is growing. The diversity of race and color and language continues to abound. And so your call to reconciliation is diverse. And so part of saying this is I'm part of a city church. Part of my calling then is to work toward the the restoration of conflicts and wounds within this city. Rebuilding. Uh, our tag on that one was um, to give our work and resources to serve the common good of the city. In other words, if you are a person who is working in the city, you can say, I work in this city to serve this city. Or if I'm worshiping in this church that is in the city, I want to say, I actually have part of my heart is in Appleton, even though part of me might live outside of Appleton. And so you can say, Appleton is on my heart because this is where God has given me place. Now the third one then is uh, relocation. 
and this was the least popular, but we actually called people to say, would you consider coming and living in downtown Indianapolis? And so the church started off as a regional church, and so we had a lot of people coming in from the suburbs, and then we just kept on saying, would you consider living in the downtown? And so we would get a couple families, put them in one neighborhood, and then pretty soon that neighborhood starts to see revitalization. Now for you all, Appleton, you, some of you already live here, so what the call might be here is, is, what would it look like to be even closer to the church? To sir, perhaps start to target different neighborhoods where you have no one coming to here. And so these are just ideas, ideas. Um, let me move on, quickly, all right. Here's another principle. Use your building for the good of the community both day and night. Now the daytime might be kind of okay, but nighttime, we don't even know what that looks like. But in other words, God has given you this wonderful building. What does it look like for you to use this building so that the community can say, yeah, there's Emmaus Road, and this is where my, my scouting troop goes, or this is where AA is held, or this is where concerts are still held. So at the church I was at in Indianapolis, we had this wonderful field house, which is a basketball court. And so we opened it up, and we had people using it. We tried to have them use it all the time. Beautiful, beautiful uh, basketball court. The other thing, though, is we had all this odd space because it's such an old building, and it was used as art galleries. So we had artists who actually lived in the church, and uh, the art gallery became part of the church mission and ministry. All right, let me keep going. Have a plan for when people walk into your church. And what I mean by that is people who are from the area, perhaps people who are even without a home. And so one of the things we did at our church in uh, Indianapolis is we just were very, how do I say it? We were not shy to say that we had office hours. And so we had a secretary, and uh, when a person came in and saying, hey, do you have gas cards? Can I, do you have food? Uh, can I get a grocery card? And we're like, this is a good thing. These are all good requests. And so what we said is, we have those things, but we only distribute them at a certain time. And sometimes we would get pushback on that. But what we would say is, the reason is, is we want you to meet with our deacons or our deacon assistants because we value you so much that you're not just money. You're a person. And because you're a person, we want you to not just get money. We want you to somehow get a community. And so we kept office hours, and the people learned when those office hours were as a church, and people would show up. They would. And then pretty soon, we began to have relationship with people who were either without a home, staying in shelters, and they became part of the church family. Let me give just one more. Do you know that renewal happens through trouble? <laughs> So you look at the book of Acts, and there really is no formal plan for church growth other than what? Preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What the rest of the book of Acts is, is just people doing it on the fly. <laughs> and so what you're going to see is in the next week, um, people are apparently, they're content to be staying in Jerusalem, and so God says, I'm going to push you out, and he gives them persecution. 
And through that persecution, the people who were basically, if you will, the consumers of the apostles' teaching, now they are, you know, the givers of the apostles' teaching. And so there's now this shift of being a consumer to now being a provider. They own the mission, the Great Commission, and they're going out. So what does that mean for you? I'm, I'm not praying some imprecatory prayer like God bring trouble upon Emmaus Road so that God will push them out. I think you have enough, quote, trouble by adjusting. You have growing pains by being here at this new church. The simple point is this, embrace the trouble. God uses the trouble to push you out so that those of us who are typically the consumers, now we are becoming providers. And that is a good thing. This new building is like a fresh start. And you have the opportunity to create a movement, not just a church. Do you hear that? You're creating not just a church, you're creating a movement. What the difference is, is a church sometimes is just identified as the brick and mortar of this building. The movement is you all. That God is using you to push you out so that Appleton is being renewed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that you are preaching the word, but then also God is using you to deed the word as the overflow of the gospel in your life. Woo. Because Jesus, he's growing his kingdom. He's always growing his kingdom. And he's growing it through word and deed. Deploy your deacons. If you don't know your deacons, get to know who your deacons are. Deacons, have your vision. Employ that vision. Church, support that vision. Get alongside that vision and see the kingdom grow here in Appleton and as your series to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have told us, <clears throat> excuse me, what is good. You have told us what you require of us. You say that we are to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Lord Jesus, would you give us grace to live out your word and deed here in Appleton and to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for Emmaus Road. Thank you for the deacons who are here. God, would you continue to affirm their calling, then also this congregation get behind them in that calling, and that deeds of mercy would flow out because the word is rich and abundant here. Jesus, be glorified as your kingdom grows here in Appleton and throughout the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.